0: Well, hello there. This is Jim the Keys, bartender, coming to you from a sunny and warm Key Largo. I guess we are rolling into, I guess, mid-spring, you'd call it, or late spring. I don't know what you have planned for the summer, but I have a couple uh, things uh, I'm planning for. I have a family wedding in June, and then I'm heading over seas to my wife's home country of Poland for a couple weeks but uh, you know it is the off season here in the Keys and uh, the things uh, we we do down here you know obviously you know as a bar bartender and the other things I do as a fitness instructor they both slow down the other things I do seems to pick up and that other thing is uh, weddings I'm a wedding officiant. I'm a notary. Notaries can perform wedding ceremonies down here. And I, uh, yesterday at 11 a.m. I performed a small ceremony. It was for a small wedding party. Lovely couple. They're, uh, uh they live here in Key Largo, originally from, uh, Columbia. They met in college. And it was just really lovely couple. But, uh, it's it's interesting how the ebb and flow of work comes when we have less tourists coming in. Yeah, we still have tourists coming down. They recognize that it's a good value to come down here, even though the prices still seem to be at a premium in different places. That it's uh, at least the hotel rooms aren't at that you know high a price. Um, I you know it, it's weird with the fluctuations of uh, years ago when I used to. Uh, uh, purchase tickets, you you just call the airline. You wouldn't, obviously, before the internet, you you decide where you have to go and you'd find out who goes there and, you know, who flies from. If I was going to Philadelphia to Tampa, I would just find the airlines that go and you contact them or you could contact something you may not be familiar with, the term, but it's called a travel agent. And travel agents used to do that for you. It was great. You didn't get necessarily... Uh, the best deal all the time I mean sometimes you could travel agents were skilled at their jobs searching uh, for you know flights and connections and all this stuff and they knew what they were doing and they book all that stuff for you and you just go and get your tickets or you know if you had a little know-how you just you know call you know call the airline and do it yourself uh, but now with the internet and I will probably talk about it a little later I don't want to split it up too much because normally I do talk about bar stuff and so I'll, I'll start in the beginning about my travel planning now with it seems as if with the more choices you have or at least for me I'm only speaking for myself the more choices that I have there it's harder to make a decision you know if you were going out to eat And let's say you lived in a small town and there was, you know, an Italian restaurant and a Chinese restaurant. You just think, well, which one am I going to go for today, Chinese or Italian? But here you could, um, especially when you're in a big hub city, and and Miami's a big hub city, it's a big airport. um, Maybe not as big as O'Hare, let's say in Chicago, or uh, LaGuardia in uh, New York, but it is... It is uh, huge um, for the number of flights that leave and come in. So you could, I mean, with connections the way they are, you can go, uh, whenever you book on, online, there seems to be a myriad of flights and connections. And if you're just looking for the cheapest flight, you can end up getting like two connections, especially international flights. Who wants to spend two days traveling, Right. I mean, sometimes you do, depending on the location you're traveling to. If you're traveling to a big country, let's say you're heading to a place in China, right? China's a big country. It's, you know, geographically around the same size as the United States, at least the lower 48. And, um, but in Europe, uh, there, you know, there's tons of big cities, tons of airports, and a, a very robust rail system. So... We're when I was looking for flights leaving for Miami to Warsaw there are there used to be a direct flight there is a direct flight there's LOt flights directly to Warsaw and a couple other airlines do too I think but LOt is a Polish national airline but uh, we're going to Warsaw is a little farther north it's about you know four hours north of where we're going to be four or five hours and who really wants to drive after? you know, a 13-hour flight or a 12-hour flight. Who wants to get in a car and drive that time? So we, we like to go to perhaps Krakow. And it's only about, from Krakow, it's about two, two hours to the, uh, and which is the second largest city in Poland. I, I think it's the second largest city, but it's, it's the old capital. So we'd be looking for it. And you, you're, you, the decisions you have to make nowadays are it's not just, it's not just price, time it's the length of time in the layover now i had considered depending on where i was going if there was a layover sometimes like 30 there's some incredibly long layovers sometimes you see on these they give you the option for and if it was in a city i never uh visited before i actually considered saying well that would be a nice one day visit to go to some place like oslo i've never been to oslo norway but uh, I thought better of myself when I thought I didn't want to get creative. You know, when you almost, uh, you know, with my health scare early in the year, I said, I don't know if I should be getting that creative. I think I should just go and get a flight. Um, I like, there's some airlines I like. I like the uh, Polish National Airlines, the, the LOT, and also like Lufthansa and uh, British Airways Air France. And I, I don't want to say anything negative about any other airline, but I have found other airlines wanting. So when you're, when I'm traveling in the United States, a two hour flight, I can almost stand for two hours. Not that you would, you know, like on a, on a subway or a train. I, I mean, not that I would want to stand. So an, an uncomfortable seat for two hours, it's really no big deal for me. I will take a budget airline with no frills. And even with a budget airline, no frills, you know, the way they piece meal everything, you really, uh, and let me, once again, for some of the younger audience, when you used to buy a ticket on an airline, everything was included in that ticket. You'd buy a seat, you'd get your luggage, you get your carry-on. You, if there was a meal, you'd get the meal. So the other option was uh, economy or first class. That's it, and maybe there are a couple of other ones. And yeah, no, those days you could smoke. Nowadays, you know, it, it, they're getting more bare bones. The flights is not news to you. It won't be news to you, of frequent travelers. But uh, for you, those of you that don't own travel, if you buy a ticket, it's not necessarily a given. That any of your luggage is uh, included, just your carry-on personal item. Yeah, and then you purchase that, and then if you want a seat, if you want an aisle seat, you want a window seat, you got you got to do that. And sometimes no meals. You know, I mean, obviously less than two hours, no big deal. Who needs a, I mean, can you go two hours without eating? You got freaking Cinnabon. bun, and I mean that's not really eating though. Why now would you eat Cinnabon before you get on a flight? I guess it's better than having Taco Bell in the terminal. And I'm not trying to downplay Taco Bell. But unless you, you know, desire to have intestinal issues on a flight, I would strongly dissuade you from eating any questionable foods or foods that you don't normally eat. That's why you got to be careful, like at the airports and when you're international travel, you don't really want to be that uh, adventurous with your food choices before you get on a flight. Because as long with the seats getting smaller, so did the accommodations, the restrooms have gotten tiny, super tiny. So I've been looking for a flight and I'm thinking, okay, now I'm looking for nowadays, it's almost like, you're thinking, what do I really need? What what seat position do I need? Do I need to have a, a, a roomy seat or not a roomy seat? You know, for a 10-hour flight, you, you know, you got to really think about how you, you know, you don't, you don't want to be sitting in a place where someone's going to have the back of their seat laying across your knees. Now, I've done it. I've sat in the back of Volkswagens as a passenger. So if I could sit, if you could sit in back of a Volkswagen Beetle, As a passenger. And I'm talking about the old Volkswagen Beetle as an adult, the size you are now, you pretty much can handle almost any seat. Somebody's low cost airliner, I mean, if you are a larger person, that it gets a little crazy. I see people online I go, Wow. You know, I'm I'm going to a wedding in in the Baltimore area in, in July, which I mentioned earlier. And I'm flying one of these, uh, I, you know, barebone airlines. Because you know what, I'm only going two hours. I only need that. So, but you know, in order for comfort, th- those seats do get a little smaller. And you know, and that's, that. In that case, I do buy a larger seat. You know, that's the way I treat myself and stuff. I mean, it's it's for four hours. I figure 120, 130 bucks more. It's I'm getting off the plane. I'm a little more comfortable. So that's what I do. And uh, comfort is, you know, especially when you're traveling. For me, the shorter the time I need, the less comfort I need. But you got to balance it. So let's go and talk a little about bartending. Today, at the place I work, we have a large uh, function. It's... I'm not even going to say what it's for because it's just a group of 65 people coming in, and in order uh, to prepare, you know, we have our regular crowds on Friday, and Fridays are usually a pretty good night for us, even in off season. It's our big, we get a big local influx of people, and then you know, with the minimized travelers, it gets kind of when a minimized number of travelers, it gets kind of busy. And in order to be able to accommodate those people and be able to do our jobs, we got to do a little preparation. So they're actually going to be running their they're going to be running the outside bar. And I'm going to go and prepare that before I go to work so I don't have to go into work, set it up outside and then go in and do my regular job. So I'm going to go in a little earlier, take care of it. It's right around the corner and But some of the things <clears throat> I used to do in the past I learned aren't necessary, meaning <clears throat> for s- certain parties, you have to think about it. When, when you're offering, if they're offering, offering every selection they have, let's say a bar and you have a regular bar, but you realize 80% of the people drink house wine, domestic beer, and certain drinks like gin and tonics, vodka club, vodka cranberry, and things like that, you get 80% of your drinks out of the way for a lot of these parties. Now, if someone wants something special, that's the time you would just say, hey, listen, you're talking about 80% is taken taken care of by this uh, bar that you're setting up, and then you leave the other 20% for your main bar. So you don't have to set up everything. Because it doesn't make sense to set up something that's only temporary. Because you want to be able to survive, you know, streamline your service. When I say streamline your service, you don't want to duplicate things. You want to make it as keep it simple. I don't like using the KISS principle. I said that years ago. I don't like that thing. Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, or maybe they say, keep it simple, sweetheart. There you go. Sweetheart, sounds like you're being a little snide with that, aren't you? Or aren't I? But those are the things. You're prepared. You don't, especially on a busy night, you want to get a head start on. I don't necessarily, um, I don't really have a problem setting up everything, but you know, you got to think of your cost overhead. You want to duplicate things. You don't need to open every bottle. I've been in places where people tried to get be provide everything, and we did that several weeks ago when we talked about you don't want to have you really can't provide all the choices that are available in the world of cocktails. You want to provide the lion's share of the things that your customers want. And that way that one of the skills for figuring that out is reading your audience. You got to read the room, read the crowd. You know, if you are getting let's say people that are truck drivers, ship's uh, boat captains, fishing uh, fishing boat captains and things like that. I can pretty much tell you that a lot of those drinks are going to be of the malt beverage kind a beer, or something like that. And then you'll have some people drinking vodka, bourbon. You may have a few drinking wine. You don't get a lot of that. But I can, say, I can pretty much read a, a group when you get it. When I see a lot of, uh, let's say, airline pilots, airline pilots still currently are predominant men, and if they're drinking... Yeah, it's beer, a lot of light beer, a lot of imports, maybe some IPA. Jack Daniels. I think about that. If it's a, if it's a, a wedding shower, bunch of ladies. You're going to be heavy on the wine. Maybe some of the margaritas. Maybe some of the martinis. You got to think of your audience. And when you think of your audience and you're providing, making allowances for them, you're also making allowances for your place of work. You're not over-duplicating. You're not creating an undue burden on cost and supply. And that's all it's about. It's about being easily delivered, delivering service, delivering the products you need to deliver in a very abbreviated time. And, you know, with limited space, you do have things to do. Now, when we when say things to do, you have restrictions. When you're putting out... I, I think about these things when I, I think about beer. When, you're, and when we're outside, we don't have draft beer outside. We've done it before. Normally, we put one or two kegs and you do a hand pump system, maybe. Or you can even get a CO2 system, but you have to put it in a barrel But generally, if it's a party of like 50, 60 people, think about it. If you think about um, in, in any group, let's say 60 random adults, there'll be 10 to 15 of them that don't drink at all. In almost every group, except maybe restaurant people, you'll find very few people that don't drink. I'm I'm usually the exception to the rule that, to that, but I'm not raising myself on high for him. Just the like I said, you're 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 just reading the room. And reading the room, it depends on the people. Are these people more likely to drink imports? Are there gonna be a lot of corona drinkers, a lot of Heineken? Amstel light. You don't see a lot of Amstel Light anymore. You know, even with this uh, Little brouhaha over Bud Light. You know, I was telling people a story. I knew older people. I mean, I still know. I am an older person, so I know myself. But years ago, there was an entertainer in Las Vegas named Liberace. And he was very flamboyant. He used to wear these... Sequin suits. He played the piano. He was uh, very floral and exuberant. And uh, they were just regular the people that would go a show in in Las Vegas were uh, not, let's say, high society. They generally were people of uh, middle, you know, middle America, and they loved Liberace, even though Liberace. Um, back in the, it was the fifties and the sixties and into the seventies, I guess the early seventies, where Liberace was, um, I guess famous. That even though you could look at him and say this gentleman seems to be uh, leading an alternate lifestyle, I don't want to say anything, he was gay. Liberace was gay, and. And they were being coy and they they behaved coyly in the 50s and 60s. says, why isn't Liberace married? Well, he loves his mother. Why he's taking care of his mother? Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. They, they, they would talk about stuff, but they would never go to the point. So, well, obviously, Liberace likes guys and they can't get married. You know, he can't be publicly out as a gay man in the 50s and 60s and even in the early 70s a lot of times because America had a problem with that. Right? But you had... All, from all the evidence with the way he dressed, the way he behaved, the way he sounded, that Liberace was gay. But no one had a problem with Liberace because he didn't say it. And you know what? If Liberace they didn't have Bud Light back then either, Light beer wasn't a thing then. Maybe they did have a light beer, but it wasn't one of those things that were popular. But in that day, if they put, in those days, if they put and they had the technology to put the picture of Liberace on a can of beer, no one would say anything. They wouldn't have a big deal about it. And a lot of the people that complain about it today are descendants of the people that used to go and see him. Now, I have no problem with anybody, transgender, gay, or anything. You put them on a can of beer, you put them on a can of soda, I don't really care. Um, maybe I would have a problem if you put uh, like uh, a Jeffrey Dahmer or an, you know some killer I'm not talking I don't really worry about someone's sexual orientation I worry about their moral thing like whether they're killers or thieves if they had a, a, a um who was it Bernie Madoff I said, why would you put Bernie Madoff on a bottle of wine you know I would probably take on bridge of that. I don't know what I'm... I I don't know. See, once again, I diverged. and So I'm talking about beer. So I know that when I am doing, uh, putting beer out, I need to put a lot of uh, light beer out there. I have just uh, recently, it seems like Coors Light is getting busier in bottle because people that drank Bud Light have switched to Miller Light and Coors Light. Prediction, next year, there's not going to be a big deal. No one's going to have a problem with Bud Light. And the people that drank Bud Light are going to go back to drink Bud Light. Just the way it is. People like what they like, and they're going to drink it. And the, until they're, you know, just like, this is a fad. It's a negative fad. It's hurting maybe their bottom line. I try to explain to people also. You know, Anheuser-Busch may have a problem that their major product line is going low. But you know what? A lot of people that don't aren't drinking Bud Light may be switching to michelob Ultra. Now, it's a problem when they go to another you know, company for them in the long run. But I don't think in, in the end, I think it'll be all right. So, uh, but providing those beers, I'm just thinking, I got to have that out there. I got to have, it's hot. It's going to be outside. So I think there's going to be a lot of white wine. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people drinking red wine. I'd have one bottle of maybe Cabernet. 60 people. I bet there wouldn't be one person drinking Merlot. And, uh, I would put, make sure I have a lot of Chardonnay and a lot of a lot more Pinot Grigio because I know Pinot Grigio is a little p- more popular than Chardonnay. And some Sauvignon Blanc. I wouldn't get all hung up over the red wine. It's, you know, you don't see red wine outside in, in the tropical now inside what is cooler, yes. And then you have your other drinks too. And I guess you also, maybe those White Claws, they're not, White Claws are big with younger people now, and uh, really, I, I don't really worry about it that much. If someone really wants one, we can, t- we can supply it from the main bar. But you see what we do here? We figure out what kind of beer we're going to have, how many sixes you're gonna, six packs we're going to have, and even then, you could just need enough to get started, so you can just restructure, you know, resupply depending if you're going through a lot more of something else. You have to start with everything you're going to go with because you can say, "Well, there's a lot of people drinking bottles of Miller Lite." So then you're going to realize, "Well, I'm going to better I better bring out some more Miller Lite, or I better drink bring some more uh, Chardonnay out." And that's how you read a room. You think about what and if you've been in business long enough and you know the kind of people that come in, you've seen these types of parties, you're going to be able to better plan for it. And it makes it easier at the end of cleanup because you know when you have to bring everything in and break it down, who wants to have to rotate back in the stock a ton of supplies that you brought out by misreading that group? So planning and thinking can save you a lot of work. Finally, with the last couple of minutes of the show, I have to talk about reading the room I, as a uh, podcast host and the commentator and the main person on this podcast, I really need to be more cognizant over the things I say. Because I know exactly, and I know you go through it and most people go through it, I know exactly what I mean when I'm saying something. On my last show, I did uh, a little bit talking about how... Someone commented, oh, you're the guy. And I didn't mean to really say that comment bothered me. What happened is it didn't matter that someone said it. I realized that that's what people remember. Like you say, oh, you're the fitness instructor. I, I realized that that was big news, that a fitness instructor at a spin class was... Uh, had I had a cardiac arrest after a deadly arrhythmia and I realized I realized after when I heard a couple people say oh so you're that guy that it was big news and it traveled far and it just meant like for especially people in the fitness industry down here they say well listen you know, when someone says, oh, look at you. See what happens when you work out? This is what happens. And I we say, well, listen, I explain to people this all the time. Uh, first of all, I want to say I wasn't pointing to that, that person who who thought I viewed their comment as negative. I didn't view their comment as, uh, as negative. I viewed it as indicative of the spread of the story and and uh, the, the person who, who uh, actually... Um, uh, I'm referring to is actually very sweet, and they handled it very nice, and I I enjoy talking to them. And uh, I, you know that's that that's not the issue. I just got to watch out for those things. But one of the things I realized in the comment, not reading the room, was that um, I provided discussion or a talking point for people that say, you know. You know, working out isn't what else all cut out to be. It doesn't really do anything for you. Well, you got to... Just because one guy had a deadly arrhythmia and had cardiac arrest and got flown up to the mainland, you know, had to get uh, shot back into existence, it does not wipe out the fact that taking care of yourself, it's good for your health. This happened anyway, not due to the fact that I'm healthy. I believe if I lived the same lifestyle and didn't do any workout, I may have had that happen 10 years earlier than me maybe my body is especially susceptible to those things or all the, you know, um, gathering circumstances, the ones that intersected, the COVID, the lung infection, the being tired, my father's memorial service, um, um, yeah, the lack of sleep. That contributed to um, one underlying issue and all those things contributed to what happened. <clears throat> and I was working out, and that probably induced the the stress, um, you know, artificially induced stress by working out. Yes, I understand that. Go more at rest. If I I had l- eaten like a Roman, uh, you know, a Roman senator for years, just eating eating whatever I want, a bag of donuts. A whole sleeve of Oreos. Yes, lots of sugar, especially since I stopped drinking. And I drank like a fish for years. And I smoked like a chimney. This this thing was going to happen to me eventually. I believe. I believe. Uh, But I don't want it to be used as a reason to say, hey, don't work out. Because this is what's going to happen to you. And it's not that. And it's like, it's, it's called your false, it's a false equivalency when you, and when you say, oh, because you're working out. Now, Now, if you were used to a sedentary life and then you go and do an intense workout and stuff like that and put yourself into a cardiac arrest, yes, that isn't the smartest thing in the world. But if you take it yourself and you're sensible about it, you're eating and doing other things, you can extend your health and your life. You know, and there's no guarantees out there that because I'm doing this, that I'll live, you know, that I'm going to be better than this. But up until that moment, I was feeling all right. And I came back and I recovered and went back. I was able to go back. I was physically able to go back after three weeks. I wasn't cleared for going back until like four weeks. I was supposed to be out a minimum of six weeks. I attribute that to my conditioning, and uh, so I appreciate that. And I do have to apologize. I got to read the room and say what I'm saying to someone. And when I'm saying it on this podcast, I am not. I try not to point out anybody in particular. And most people are the sweetest people in the world. And the ones that I've spoken about recently are the sweetest people in the world. And oh, I don't want to cause any problem with that. You know, I don't, I don't want them to be walking around thinking, oh, I, I hope I didn't insult. I had a person... In my spin class today, <clears throat> a lovely person, and she said to me, oh, I, someone, they I heard about what happened to you. I heard you had a little heart flutter and all that stuff. And everyone else in the class said, what? <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> and the person goes, what? Oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, what do you need to be sorry about? I was able to read the room. I realized what this person saw. This person saw me. They hadn't come to class for four weeks. And uh, they were in class a week before this happened. And it came uh, the week after I came back. And then they realized that it was gone for four weeks. And they just said, well, if you look at the he's in now, how serious could it have been? People see me and they say, how serious can it be? I said, well, you know, that's, that's a logical You know, that's a logical assessment when you're looking at someone who says, well, obviously that couldn't have been that serious. Look at him. He's still working out. He's rowing for 30 minutes. He's doing this. He's lifting. Now, I'm not lifting the same amount because he told me not to go back to that. And I'm thinking about, you know, I'm working my way back to that. So they were they were reading the room. They looked at me and said, oh, he looks he looks fine. And I I do get that. I kind of flattered by that. People go and say, wow, I mean, you're back already. And I'm like, well, I go like this, you know, for the time I was out, I wasn't out. I mean, I was out long enough. They said if I was out a couple minutes longer, I would have brain damage. But I don't think I had any brain damage. I mean, you could be the judge of that. Maybe I did. I do have a problem staying on topic. But I had that problem before, didn't I? Nothing new that I had before. That I would start talking like I was talking about, if you just think previously, I'm talking about how to read an audience and tell them how what kind of supplies you need. And then I went off for three minutes or four minutes to talk about Liberace. But I can get back on topic. And that back on topic is that person was reading the room and they saw me. And I'm I'm looking at, I was explaining to him. I said, when I'm looking at my watch, I've been like thinking, is my heart rate? You know, do I is this arrhythmia thing? or defib, is this a new normal? Well, by what I've been tracking, it doesn't seem to have occurred again. Can it? Maybe. I mean, this isn't exactly reading the room. It's just being. But I'm just saying. Just I told people when they say they're looking at a watch, I say, listen, don't worry about me reading the watch. I'm just checking on my heart rate and all that stuff. And I realized that when my wrist gets wet, and I, it's wet, my wrist gets wet, and I'm wearing this watch that reads my heart rate, right, that um, it shoots up, and when I dry it, it's back to normal. So I'm going to leave it at that. And I want to thank you for listening today. Uh, I want you to have, uh, be ready for the summer. Um, keep in mind the price of a plane ticket's gone up, but it's not, you know, they couldn't, I, you, you know, they never come back down. Once a price goes up, you rarely see it come back down. Do you? Except for gasoline, right? Like, except for fuel, that seems to go up, you know, fluctuate now. It never goes back to, you know, the days of, uh, you know, dollar fifty a gallon, they're gone. But I mean, it's a possibility you can go back to two fifty. Who knows? Well, this is Jim the Keys, bartender. I will be back. I think sometime next week. It's Mother's Day weekend coming up, so I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on uh, the podcast here. But I do thank you for listening and take care of yourself. Be healthy and remember to read the room. Bye.